right, take your Bibles and go to Matthew 25. Matthew 25. And uh, as we turn the corner on the home stretch to finish our series in the parables of Jesus called The Tales of the Kingdom, um, we're going to conclude this series with three messages from Matthew 25 that are about his return. And so this morning, the title of the message is Ready for Christ's Return. And we're going to read Matthew 25, verse 1 through 13. And I'm going to ask you to stand uh, in honor of the Word of God. The Scripture says, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. And as the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a cry. Here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast. And the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore. For you know neither the day nor the hour. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So begin with a question. Do you like to be ready and prepared for things in life? Probably everybody would say yes to that question. Most people don't like it when things come upon them unexpectedly. In fact, some people want to be so ready that they're already preparing for Christmas, right? We're not even to the end of October yet. Some probably did get dressed up thinking, and there was the cry, and then the bridegroom came, and we all went home to be with the Lord. All right. right. By the way, none of this counts as my preaching time, so if you feel like that this goes forever. All right. All right, well, again, some people are preparing... for Christmas. Okay. So Elias, my youngest son, he's already flipping through catalogs and, you know, different magazines to create his gift list. And and everyone wants to be ready for Christmas. And besides Christmas, there are those special occasions, uh, special events uh, that you really intentionally prepare for, right? Uh, Some of our young married couples who just recently had children or welcomed their first child, um, they went through that process of preparing for a newborn. And uh, my wife and I, we have five children. We've gone through that process. And, uh, you know, you prepare the room for them. At least we did. We did that for the first two. And then when you get beyond two, you just dump them in a corner somewhere and you don't really care. <laughs> and uh, and so, uh, but 
right as the delivery approaches, you're preparing, you're preparing the house, you're getting ready to go to the hospital, you're, you have a bag packed, arrangements made for uh, the other kids, if you have other kids, you got your work plans that you've tried to put in place. When we had our first two, I was a school teacher at that time, and so I was always trying to get my teaching, my lesson plans, you teachers know what I'm talking about, you got your teacher, your lesson plans in order. So, and I would tell my wife, please try to deliver the baby on a weekend so that I can get a full week off. And so we, we, and, and then, and, and then beyond that, you have your route to the hospital timed and planned out and, so that you can have total readiness once the baby arrives. And so uh, some of that's how we did it. And of course, uh, we were, I was so concerned that, uh, the, she would arrive prematurely that is like in route to the hospital i drove as fast as i could i remember when we got to the hospital i christy got out she got in that wheelchair i was running through the parking lot crashed into the curb and uh and trying to get into the hospital and all of that just to simply demonstrate the importance of readiness and it is readiness that this passage is all about This passage is about readiness and Christ's return. I want you to look just at the first verse. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like, and just stop for just a second before we get the, we go into the parable. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like, that is the rule of Christ, the reign of Christ, the coming of Christ into the world in the second advent. It'll be like this. And then he makes the analogy. But the point is, is that he is talking about his future return after his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension into heaven. That phrase, then the kingdom of heaven will be like, actually takes the reader back to chapter 24. Now keep in mind the original, in the, in the original, there were no chapters, right? Or verses. And so chapter 24 and 25 need to be considered together. And so when you read that phrase, the kingdom of heaven will be like, well, he's taking you back to chapter 24 where our Lord Jesus began what is called the Olivet Discourse. It is his final sermon before he goes to the cross. And do you know what he was talking about in his final sermon? He was talking about the second coming. He was talking about the end of the age or the end of time and the final judgment. And so after you go through chapter 24 and you get to 25, Jesus is simply continuing his teaching about the second coming, about the end of time, telling his disciples uh, through parables uh, what is going to happen. And so for us, what we need to just simply recognize is that we, as Christians, we affirm what Jesus teaches in these two chapters about the end of time. And that is that Christ will return at the end of time. And that when He returns, He will return to consummate God's redemptive plan. That is to bring God's plan and human history to a close. And when He does, He will judge the nations. He will judge the living and the dead, and He will establish His kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And so in chapter 24, and in the parables that we will consider these next few weeks, 
I want you to really pay attention. There is no date or timeline that is given to us. So that's really important. And in fact, when you go back to chapter 24 in our home, we were reading this as a family and we were discussing this. When you go to chapter 24 and begin in verse 3, and Jesus begins to give the signs of the end of the age. And he talks about nation rising against nation and there'll be wars and rumors of wars and famines and earthquakes. You you know, I want you to understand something. I'm just going to drop this here because you, you need to understand this in the beginning, in the beginning of this message that the signs are general things that will increasingly happen over time from his ascension to his second coming. In other words, none of these things are referring to specific things. They're just general things that will increasingly happen. And so if you lived during World War II, you'd have thought it's the end of the world. But if you'd have lived in the Civil War, you probably would have thought it was the end of the world. So we got to be really careful about taking passages like this and then jumping to prophecy codes or end time charts. Those are dangerous. I mean, go back to 1988. Gorbachev was supposed to be the Antichrist. Did you know that? It's because he had a birthmark on his bald head. I mean, I read that. And so the people that advocate that stuff, you need to be really careful about listening to some of, of some of that stuff. But what these signs in chapter 24 are given, they are given not for manipulation and not for speculation. But this, all that Jesus says are given for our anticipation so that we will be anticipating Christ's return. So that when there is a war that breaks out in the Middle East, that suddenly we'll be jarred to be reminded, hey, history will come to the end one day. It may be now, it may be a thousand years from now. We don't know that, but history will end and Christ will return. And those signs are given that we, so that we will prepare for his coming. And by preparation, I don't mean building bomb shelters and creating food storage in your basement. What I mean is, is that... That every generation of the church will be ready and anticipating the imminent or near return of Christ and the impending judgment that is to come. And the reason I say that in the very beginning is if you go back to Matthew 24, 36, it says, Therefore, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So I I set that before you to establish this. That when you get to chapter 24 in this parables, these parables that begin to illustrate the importance of readiness for Christ's return, here is the key kingdom truth of the parable of the ten virgins or the ten bridesmaids. You must be ready and prepared to meet Christ when he returns. That is more important than when or how. That is what needs our attention. That's what Jesus is drawing attention to here. And there are three things in this parable that unfold this key truth to us this morning. First, you'll see the condition of the bridesmaids. The second thing you'll see is the coming of the bridegroom. And then the third thing you'll see is the consequence of the unprepared. Those are the three things that I want us to consider in regards to being ready for Christ's return. So look at the first thing, the condition of the bridesmaids. The condition of the bridesmaids. Verse 
one. Again, the text says that this, then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins or bridesmaids. So bridesmaids in a wedding usually were young women that were expected to be chaste and pure. And uh, these young women took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. And notice verse 2, five of them were foolish and five were wise. Now basically what Jesus is doing here is he's comparing his return to a bridegroom who is coming to get his bride and to go to his wedding banquet. And so now what I want you to get here is, is that this, this emphasis is to demonstrate that the second coming of Jesus Christ for the believer, it's a joyous thing. The end of the age is a wonderful thing for the believer. And so I think too often when we talk about the end or we talk about eschatology, the doctrine of last things, that we do so in order to just, in order to just stimulate fear in people. Well, if you're lost today, if you're not a Christian, well, you should have fear. But believer, we should have fear in the sense of reverence, but we should have joy because What it means is our Savior is going to come and He is going to bring all things to a close and make all things new. And so Jesus is comparing His return to a bridegroom who's coming to get His bride and then go to His wedding banquet or to a wedding reception. But of course in in these days, wedding receptions would have been ceremony that a ceremony that lasted for days on end. And so after the wedding ceremony, Jewish custom was that the bridal party would form a processional in the streets for an evening celebration and feast at the bridegroom's house. And this usually happened at night. And so what would happen after the wedding vows were exchanged and after the ceremony itself, the bridegroom would finalize dowry details and financial agreements with the bride's parents. And so the bride, with her bridesmaids, would then go to her parents' house and she would wait until her bridegroom and the groomsmen came to get her. And so when he would finally return, the bridesmaids would go and meet him and then escort the couple through the streets, lighting the way with the torches or the lamps. And really, it says they took their lamps, which lamps would have been torches. Just think of a stick with like a rag that's wrapped around the end of it and would have been doused in oil and it would have been lit and that would have been the lamps. And so it was really a beautiful, spectacular uh, scene, kind of like the those uh, lamps that we light and send up into the air, right? And so that, that's what this would have been. It would have been a very beautiful scene. So the bridesmaids, but here's what I want you to get. The bridesmaids were to be ready for his return and prepared for this processional to the banquet. They're part of the wedding party, at least from what we observe. So that's their responsibility. And so while it is easy for us to read these first two verses and see that the bridegroom pictures Jesus and his return in the second coming, it must be noted that the bridesmaids represent the visible church. Almost any commentator will say this. That is, the bridesmaids represent you and me in the parable. And and and, and pay attention, because what you need to see is all of these bridesmaids, all ten, expect to be a part of this procession. Right? All ten expect 
to attend the banquet. Outwardly, at least from what we can see outwardly, there are, they, they are there. They look the part. They all have the torch. But here's the question. Are they all ten really prepared? No. Because there is a distinction. Look at verse two. Verse, verse three and four. There are five wise and five, verse two says there are five wise and five foolish, uh, bridesmaids. And notice verse three. Here's the distinction. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. And so I, I want you to notice here, the distinction is this. The foolish are not prepared and the wise are ready and prepared. Let's think about first the, let, let's think about the foolish first. If you put that up there. Let's think about the foolish who are not prepared. What makes them foolish? Now think about this. Again, pay attention. Outwardly they appear okay. But the text says there's one nuance. Do you see it? They did not take any oil with them. So if they have no oil, then there is no way that they can participate in this procession and be finally with the wedding party. They do not have what is necessary for endurance because the torch that they carry will extinguish it quickly. Now, you know, the implication here is this, that they have been foolish by intention. Do you see it? They are careless and they are negligent. Their torch is a bright flicker not a burning flame. And you need to keep that in mind. Their torch is a match, not a candle. A match goes out quickly. A candle burns indefinitely. And so what the picture here is clear, and you need to listen to me this morning. It is showing us that there are those in the visible church, that is those in the gathered congregation, who may flicker with religious emotion. They may flare with religious zeal, but there is no flame of true salvation in the heart and the soul of that person. Let me just say it to you really plainly and really simplistically. You can profess Christ, but that doesn't mean you possess Christ. J.C. Ryle, 19th century pastor, said this, all are called Christians and profess to be a part of the Christian religion. But not all have the grace of the Spirit in their hearts and really are what they profess to be. What about you this morning? Do you truly possess salvation? Because see, the foolish here, they are, they are not prepared because they have been careless. And they have been negligent in tending to what is really necessary to be a part of this wedding party, this wedding banquet. But notice that the wise are ready and prepared. What makes them wise? Well, the text indicates that they are prepared and they have with them not only a torch, but what do they have with them? The oil that is needed for it to continually burn and that, that oil is part of their responsibility as the bridesmaids. 
They are careful in their planning. And they are prepared for the immediate return of the bridegroom or the delayed return of the bridegroom. It doesn't matter if he comes immediately or if he waits until way into the darkness of the night. They are ready. They are not only looking toward the wedding feast, they are living for the wedding feast. Do you follow it? So that when he returns, they're ready. That's what they want to be. Now, in the same way, the true believer is looking to Christ for salvation. But if you're a true believer, you're not just looking to Christ and professing yourself to be a believer. You are living for Christ because of salvation that has been granted to you. So the believer, as he or she awaits the eternal kingdom, is not only looking to Christ for salvation, but they've been transformed by the gospel and they are living for Christ. And so this morning, you see that if you go to Titus chapter 2, verse 11. It won't be on the screen, but if you want to take your Bibles and you want to flip over to Paul in the book of Titus and go with me there. And notice what, notice what he writes. In Titus 2, verse 11, he says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness. In other words, this is what living for Christ looks like. Looking to Christ is looking to Him salvation. But living for Christ looks like this. Once we're saved, the Spirit of God trains us to renounce ungodliness, worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So do you see this? Notice here that the true believer is not someone who has taken the gospel for fire insurance, only to live them the rest of their life for the world. The true believer is possessed by the gospel and lives for the coming kingdom that is yet ahead. So do you see the division here? There's the ready and the not ready. There's the prepared and the not prepared. And so hear me today if you're in this room this morning. You're either ready or you're not ready. You're either prepared or you're not prepared. You're either living foolishly or you're living wisely. But there is no in-between. There is no fence to stand on. There's no one foot on this side and one foot in the other. You're either saved or you're lost. You're either unregenerated or you're born again. And Jesus draws these categories with absolute clarity. And you know why all that's important? Because it so happens that Not only is there a banquet feast, not only is there a distinction between the wise and the foolish, there happens to be a delay in the bridegroom's coming. Do you see this? Look at verse 5. It says, as the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. So the bridegroom delays, which means that there will be a long period. I mean, Jesus' point here is just clear. There's going to be a long period, a long wait, a long delay between ascension and the return. And our job is not to predict his, his, the second coming. Our job is, again, not to put up charts and try to make guesses. Our job is to preach the gospel. And our job is to live in readiness 
for Christ's return. And so they all become drowsy. Notice all of them, the wise and the foolish. There's nothing wrong with the sleep and the drowsiness. It just illustrates that living in this world, there's nothing wrong with rest and relaxation. There's nothing wrong with fun and play, work and leisure, hobbies hobbies and games. But the problem presented is that some of these people sleeping are sleeping to their own peril. Do you know why? Because they're sleeping and they're not ready. Just like people today are, people are playing games or they're, 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 they're working and they're pursuing dreams and they're making plans and they're doing so with no real readiness for the return of Christ and the eternity that is ahead. So here's the kingdom application at the end of this point. The condition of the bridesmaids reveals to us that some people think they're ready, but they're actually not. Brothers and sisters, let me drive this home for us. Let me be as clear as I can. Jesus is telling this so that we will do self-examination. Some people think that they are saved, that they are Christians, because they went forward in a church service, that they signed a card, that they repeated a sinner's prayer. Some people think they're saved because they felt an emotion and had no clue what that emotion was about. Some people think they're Christians because they got baptized. Some people think that they're okay because they belong to a church. They hold an office in the church. Some people think that they're okay because they check all those boxes and they serve, they teach, or they even preach. Wow. But you know what? None of that means that you are truly born again. How many people go to church and check off boxes? How many people through the years, even in my own pastoral ministry, that I've seen in the church where we have nominal, half-hearted Christianity that has been inherited from moms and dads and generations passed down, people that that will say they're Christian, but there's no real affection or love for Christ, no real commitment to the things of God, no more no devotion to Christ's church and the mission of the gospel. People who say they're Christian, but there's no revulsion about sin and their own sinfulness. Yet they're Christian. Why? Well, because they said a sinner's prayer. Absolutely false. And so the point here is, is that there are people that can even be in the church who are not truly saved. And so my goal is not to create doubt but self-examination based on the text. And so here's the question you should ask yourself. Are you truly trusting Christ? Are you? Are you trusting that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, that he was buried and that he was that he rose again on the third day and that that alone is the only way that you can be saved and that you can enter into the presence of God and enjoy the kingdom of heaven? Is that what you're trusting in? Or are you trusting in one of those other things? You said a sinner's prayer. You walked an aisle. You signed a card. You did, you had some religious experience, but, but you never repented and put your faith in the gospel. That, that's how you do that self-examination. 
And then the way that you do the other part of that itself, am I foolish or am I wise? Well, it's not a matter of are you living perfectly, but are you living in progressive readiness? Do you have a love for Christ? Do you have a desire to see his kingdom advance? Are you living with your eyes also fixed on eternity? Those are the questions that you ask. Because here's the thing, the condition of the bridesmaid forces us to do this self-examination, but it leads to the second observation, the coming of the bridegroom. Look at verse 5 and 6. So in verse 5, notice what it says. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. In verse 6, but at midnight there was a cry. Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. And so the cry comes somewhere in the middle of the night. Sorry if you love that song, Midnight Cry. If you grew up in the 90s or whatever, whatever it was, the Southern Gospel song. The cry came somewhere in the middle of the night. And it's, here is the bridegroom. He is on his way. And they are then told to come out and meet him for the processional. Again, what Jesus is demonstrating here is that his return will come unexpectedly. So again, ignore all the predictive charts and all of the prophetic claims that go on with world events. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. He goes on to compare the signs of the times to like labor pains in childbirth. A pregnant woman can have, pre- have, have labor pains, but many times those are false alarms. One labor pain is not the, is not the, the actual sign that a delivery is actually going to happen, but they are, they are pains that remind the mother and the father as well, you better be ready because the baby is going to be on the way soon. And so in the same way, what Jesus is saying is that's how we live. We, we live expecting Christ's return, even though we know not when he will return. And so what I want to do there is just inject this truth. Eschatology matters. That is, the doctrine of last things is an important part of our faith. In fact, Matthew Henry the Puritan said that everything in the Christian life will eventually center on the return of Jesus Christ. Right? We are looking to the day when we'll be judged. We are looking to the day when we will stand before him. We are looking to the day when he returns and makes all things new. You see the doctrine of last things in the preaching of the apostles in the book of Acts. It is one of the clear ends of the book of the of the gospel. The first advent of Christ, the second advent of Christ. Christ will come, Christ will judge, Christ will reign, and we should learn more of his second coming. And Paul says in Timothy that we should love his second appearance. And so the unexpected return, guess what happens? Well, look at the text. It catches some ready and others by surprise. Look what happens. Verse 7. So the bridegroom, is, he's announced. He's on his way. He's here. Come out and meet him. And so then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise... Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will be not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. Now notice what happens here. 
They all rose and trimmed their lamps. What that means is they got their torches in order. They began to get their torches ready so they could light the way and then begin to proceed to the wedding banquet. Those with oil would have added some to their torch, to the rag that would have been tied at the end. That way it would continue to burn. But those without oil would have lit their torches. And notice what the text says, our lamps are going out. No sooner do they light the torches, the torches go out. They extinguish quickly. And so they asked the other bridesmaids for oil. However, the wise answer, and, and in fact, the original language, these wise bridesmaids were very stern in their response. There is not enough for us and for you. Go to the marketplace. Go buy some from a dealer. But we can't give you ours. We can't share our preparedness with you. So you can imagine... Can you see the foolish bridesmaids? I mean, they are, they are rushing into town. They are seeking to find oil. They're going to miss the procession. They're going to miss out on the wedding feast. Can you see them scrambling? Do you feel the urgency? They are going to miss out. Maybe you've experienced something like that. Some years back, I was getting ready to, to go to Los Angeles to be in a, a seminary program. And so the night that I was, I was going to leave at three, at four a.m., and I had overslept. I had a suitcase that was open on the dryer. I had clothes in the dryer, clothes half piled in. I didn't have every. I was, I was half ready. All of a sudden, one of the deacons in our church that was coming to pick me up, I hear this banging on the window. I suddenly wake up and realize I got like an hour and a half before my flight. I jump up. I mean, throw shoes on. I just dump stuff in the suitcase. I zip it up. Zip the suitcase up. Grab the rest of my stuff. I forget a whole bunch of stuff that I'm going to need for the three weeks almost that I'm going to be gone. Kiss my wife, head out, and we're off to the airport. Now, it turned out I ended up making my flight, but the point is, you can see, it was chaotic. The point is simple. Should Christ come this morning... Or should you leave this world through death today? Are you prepared? Which one would you have been? Would you have been the wise ones that were just putting the oil on the lamp? Or would you have been scrambling about in order to try to figure out how you don't miss out on what's happening? And so this morning, some may not be prepared to meet him. And the reason why we're so off, people are so often not prepared to meet him is because we are so addicted to the cares of this world. We are so focused on the pursuits of this life. We are so focused on building our kingdom here that we forget the kingdom that is yet to come. How many times have you heard you young people that get ready for college, you're looking at your future, right? You're making all these plans and you're told, What's your five-year plan? You know what this text is? This is your one-million-year plan. Because you want to know what's more important than your one-year plan, your five-year plan, your eternal plan. That's more important than anything else. And so there is an urgent request in verses 7 through 9 that lead then to an unparalleled result. But the first result is actually positive. Look at verse 10. 
And while they were going to buy, they leave, the foolish, the foolish virgins leave, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast. And I want you to underline that in your Bible. And the door was shut. So while the foolish ones were going to buy, the unprepared ones, the bridegroom came. And notice two things. Those who were ready entered the marriage feast safely. So believer, if you're a Christian, let that fill your heart with joy. When Christ returns, if your faith is in Him, if your sins are forgiven, if your heart's been transformed, if you've been born again, when He returns, you will be led safely into His heavenly kingdom and you will feast at the marriage supper of the Lamb. What a joy that is. What a reminder of the glory of heaven that awaits us. They entered the marriage feast safely. They were wise because they were ready. They were part of the procession. They entered his home. They enjoyed the marriage feast with him. Listen to the language. And those who were ready went in with him. They're a part of the wedding party. They're included in everything. There's intimacy. There's knowledge. There's joy. As the bridegroom returns. And for the believer, when Christ returns, it will be an experience of joy. We will be with him forever. We will see the kingdom come to earth. And we will see all things new. We will see the door shut from the inside. You see, pastor, what does that mean? It means that we will see the door shut on death because death will be no more. There will be no more sorrow and no more pain and no more suffering. And the former things will all be done away with. Because this age will unfold into the eternal age. And so let that sink. Because that means all the earthly things we're living for, they will not matter a hundred years from now. Your 401k will not matter. Your inheritance will not matter. All of your dreams and plans will not matter. What, do you say, what does that mean then? Just keep it in perspective is what that means. And so those who are ready, they enter in. Here's what J.C. Ryle says. The door will be shut at last. Shut on all pain and sorrow. Shut on an ill-natured and wicked world. Shut on a tempting devil. Shut on all doubts and fears. Shut. Never to be opened again. And this is a blessed prospect if you're on the inside. I want to talk about the outside here in just a second. But here's the kingdom application. The kingdom application is this. For the believer, we're on the inside. But there's a a really clear reminder here. From the wise virgins. The wise bridesmaids. You cannot buy or borrow salvation and spiritual preparedness. You're not going to get to heaven because of your parents. Or because of your ancestry. Or because of anything else. You will go to heaven only because you have been made prepared. You have been prepared through the saving grace of God. That comes through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so you can't borrow. You can't lean. You can't wait and say, well, I mean, I'll just, you know, I'll I'll just tell God that, well, you know, my mom was a Christian. My dad was a Christian. My grandfather was a preacher or whatever else you might rely on 
Here's the question that this application leads us to. If Christ returns or your life ends, are you ready to meet him? Are you ready to meet him? And and when I think about that, when I think about the scrambling of the foolish virgins and the preparedness of the the wise virgins, it it, it makes me realize that, you know, I want to enjoy life that God has given me, but I don't want to waste my life on things that don't matter ultimately. God, help me to not put the things that don't matter into the highest priority. But help me, like Jonathan Edwards says in his resolutions, stamp eternity on the inside of my eyelids so that I'm constantly looking ahead beyond the grave and to the kingdom that is to come. It is the fool who never uses the time given in this life to prepare for the life that is to come. What are you preparing for? I got a feeling that we'll leave here today and we're going to be fighting the same battle that we are be constantly pulled to only prepare for the things in this life. Prepare for the things that eternally matter. Set your eyes and your heart and your home on Christ and the things that are above. But that leads us to the third observation quickly. The consequence of the unprepared. I gave you the perspective of inside the door. But what about outside? Look at verse 11. The consequences. They make a troubling plea. Verse 11. Afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. To the, to the audience to listen, to the disciples listening to this. This would have been heart-wrenching. These bridesmaids are begging, Lord, Lord, please open to us. But the door is shut and they're on the outside. They want into his home, but it is too late. It is demonstrative of the scene in Genesis 6. Remember when the door was closed? Remember all the people they were marrying and giving in marriage and they were caught up in all the pleasures of this life and they wouldn't listen to Noah and the preaching of the flood that would come? And as the flood waters were rising and the rain was falling... They were banging on that ark door, but it was too late. These women cry out. They pound on the door. Hear me. Hear me this morning. Right now, you are hearing the truth of the gospel, and the door is open now. The door of the kingdom is open right now. The time to repent is now. The time to have assurance of salvation is right now. The time to believe the gospel is now. The time to live for God is now. The time to deal with that besetting sin is now. The time to to give your life to the cause of Christ is now, not later. There is no later. There is no later. It's now. You can't wait You can't push off eternal things without there eventually being a consequence to pushing the eternal things away from you. And that's what they learn here. And they make a troubling plea. Because right now, if you cry out to God to save you, He'll save you now. But if you wait till your appearance before His throne, if you wait till you die and stand before Him, or until He returns and judges the living and the dead... It will be too late. 
And that's what Jesus is saying. And the second thing that you need to observe is he makes a terrifying pronouncement. But he answered, truly I say to you, I don't know you. He says, I do not know you. I did not know you. And the word know in scripture means more than just know facts about a person. It means to know them personally and intimately. He says, I have no knowledge of who you are. You are not what you appear to be. They weren't really, in the end, a part of the wedding party. They dressed the part, they acted the part, but they weren't really, in the end, a part of that wedding party. And the pronouncement is, you're not coming to the banquet. Let that stir your soul. It's, it hearkens to Matthew 7 when Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. The most terrifying words for any person to ever hear come from the mouth of the King of Kings will be, depart from me, I never knew you. And so the application of this is just clear. One day, there will be no more time and no more opportunities like right now. And you don't know when Christ will return. And you don't know when any of us will leave this world through death. The truth applies in either direction. I turned on the news this the, early this morning and saw that Matthew Perry from Friends, he's gone, 54. Anytime someone like that goes, it's just a reminder. It's just a reminder that we are, we, we are soon gone. The end will come. And it leads to this other application. You can be self-deceived. Are you really a part of God's kingdom? Are you really saved? Does the Lord truly know you? Ask yourself that question. And here's the conclusion quickly. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. So Jesus says all of this parable, in this parable, to lead here. Watch therefore. Be alert, be awake, be attentive. Christ is going to return. The time is near. And preparation is now. And if you are not ready today, then you need to become ready. By repenting of your sin, by believing in Christ, and surrendering your life to Him. And believer, if you are truly saved, and your faith is in Christ, be watchful and ready for his return. That word watchful means to be alert. To be living in readiness. God, help me to minimize distractions. Maximize devotion. Be warned. He's going to return unexpectedly. Live carefully. Live soberly. Live intentionally. With a sense of joy of what is to come. And an awareness of the judgment that lies ahead. And lastly, be waiting. Be waiting when he returns. Be ready to meet Christ. Are you ready to meet Christ? Are you ready for his return? What are you going to do this morning?
He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Let's stand. Father, your word is holy and inspired. We're to be ready for the return of your son. We do not know the hour. We do not know the time. But we know the truth that you have given to us. And we know the call is for us to be ready. That our faith will be found in Christ alone. So help us to do that self-examination. That we are truly in the faith. And help us who are believers to be watching. To be waiting. To be warned. That our lives will be looking towards eternity. And not just, just occupied with all the stuff of earth. And help those today that, that have not been saved to be saved to put their faith in Christ and to have salvation and though not ready right now that they'll be ready when they leave and father we ask these things in Jesus name amen